This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Thank you for joining me on the Danny Mac Podcast. I'm Danny Mac, and uh, I don't get bothered by sports stories very often. I I will confess this. I can't remember the last time, and I don't really choose to think about it. I've been as dispirited by a sports story as I have been over the last four or five days with Pat Fitzgerald. Upon his firing as head coach at Northwestern, everything that's gone in um, to his dismissal, all of the things that have been unveiled about things that happened under his watch, very, very sad and very disturbed by it and angry at some other things, angry about some of the reaction to the Fitzgerald story and some of the sanctimonious commentary of sports fans and sports media. So I'm going to try and put this into two pieces today. The first is why I'm sad because of the way a a, a tremendously successful era of Northwestern football has wrapped up in such a dark fashion, because it's a story that never really got the attention it deserved when it was starting to happen in the mid-1990s when Pat Fitzgerald was a junior linebacker out of Sandburg High School playing under Gary Barnett. and I want to get into some of the some of the self-righteousness and some of the presumption, the rude-ass presumption of sports fans. Yeah, I'll say it as I did Monday, who never earned a goddamn varsity letter in football or anything else. You sit from the cheap seats and tell people how they should behave. And I'm not condoning the car wash or the loofah line. I think it's disgusting. And I think it's vile, and I think the players should have recognized how vile it was. Hazing and sexual assault are two different things. But I'll I'll get into that in a second. I want to cover for you the suggestion and sort of tear it down. The suggestion you don't talk about Fitzgerald's accomplishments at this point that there's no reason to recognize any of the good that happened in Northwestern because it's embarrassed itself nationally, and it is a national story. I heard Dan Patrick's commentary on it Tuesday, and I agree with what Dan said. It was a public execution of Pat Fitzgerald. Not that it wasn't deserved. Not saying that. And I still am not sure if I would have pulled the trigger if I were Michael Schill or if that would have been my recommendation, he's the university president, by the way, president, or Derek Gregg, the silent partner, (laughs) and the silent, silent partner, the athletic director for the last couple of years following the great Jim Phillips. 
So I, I don't have a lot of notes in front of me today. I want this one to be from the heart because I'm a football fan more than I am anything, and I'm a provincial, a proudly provincial Midwestern football fan when it comes to my colleges. You know, growing up on the outskirts of Chicago in Northwest Indiana, we weren't really exposed to, with Chicago media, much college football. And college football, when I was a kid in the 70s, wasn't that big. I mean, Archie Griffin made it big, winning back-to-back Heisman trophies in 74 and 75. But pro football, Chicago's just pro sports now. And it remained that. And it remains that today. No matter how much success DePaul might have had, at the Rosemont Horizon in the late 70s, early 80s, no matter what Northwestern did in the 90s and since winning a bunch of bowl games, by the way, that doesn't happen for Illinois schools all too often. I'll get into that in a second. But God, it's just been uh, a, a crazy, remarkably unexpected story out of nowhere. And I want to take you all the way back for the Johnny come latelys who don't remember the early 90s. And when Chicago's first sports radio station was born in 1992, it coincided with Gary Barnett's first year as head coach at Northwestern. Gary Barnett coached the program between 92 and 98. His turning around of the Northwestern program, which was the unquestionable doormat in the Big Ten. I mean, from Dennis Green to Rick Venturi, Francis Pay, it was colossal failure after failure until Gary Barnett. And it was unexpected. And the Bears of 95 wound up being a disappointment after being a playoff team following the 94 season. So Northwestern did get some love in 95, but there was way more anxiety over the Bears during the football season when Gary Barnett's Wildcats came out of nowhere and beat Notre Dame and Michigan within three weeks. Road games. Road games. They beat Notre Dame and Michigan. And they wound up going to the Rose Bowl. They got pasted in the Rose Bowl, but it was a crazy good season in 95. Pat Fitzgerald, the middle linebacker who was all Big Ten first-teamer, and I'm pretty sure an All-American, wound up getting hurt late in the year. He missed the Rose Bowl game. He did return for his senior year and played in the Citrus Bowl loss to uh, Peyton Manning in Tennessee. But for Northwestern, the punching bag, the undisputed bottom of the aquarium algae sucking placostomus ascends to the top of the Big Ten. And you can say what you want about them missing Ohio State in 95. I won't disagree. Eddie George and Ohio State would have trampled Northwestern. They weren't on the schedule, so it didn't matter. Northwestern got to the go, go to the Rose Bowl, and they kept going to bowl games. Do you know how many bowl games they won under Gary Barnett? None. Gary Barnett was 0-2 in bowl games. His career record was 10 games below the 500 mark. Randy Walker, who succeeded Gary when he went to Colorado. Walker, who was an assistant coach and a guy also known for having questionable traditions within his program. 
he coached him until zero five in his tragic passing in the summer of zero six paved the way for a very young Pat Fitzgerald, but Walker upheld the tradition Gary Barnett started and Barnett left him with empty cupboards. That was a lousy team Walker inherited in 99 and he turned it around quickly. And then he passed away. He was 0-3 in bowl games. There's been one other coach between Northwestern and Illinois to win a bowl game since 92. Since that first year, the score signed on in 92. Only Ron Turner at Illinois has a bowl victory out of the 10 coaches, except for Pat Fitzgerald. He has five. Don't tell me to dismiss the accomplishments of Pat Fitzgerald as a player, as an assistant, and as a head coach because of things that happened under his watch that are unconscionable. Don't, you know, very disappointed to hear about this stuff. Have no problem with players being required to dress in a certain way. I I have no problem with that. You know, a, a haircut, is that a problem? I'll get into more things we don't understand, not living in the world of a football program in a second. But back to Fitzgerald. He's 5 and 5 in bowl games. He went 5 and 5 in bowl games at Northwestern. Yes. The Kitty Cats can win bowl games. They can win 10 games in a year. Now those guys who preceded him I barbecued the earlier era of Northwestern football coaches. Green, Pay, Venturi, even prior to that. You know the list of names of failed Northwestern head coaches. He won 10 games. Fitzgerald's team won 10 games in 2012, 2015, and 2017. And they went 5-5 five and five in bowl games. Every coach at Illinois is sub-500 until Brett Bielema. Every coach... Since Lou Tepper took over the Illinois program in 91 is a below 500 coach. At Northwestern, Pat Fitzgerald finished his career nine games above the 500 mark. The only guy in the state in the last 32 years, 31 or 32 seasons, to have a record better than 500. And he did it at Northwestern. And he did it before the facilities were worth the shit. He was smart enough to be politically correct enough and socially graceful enough to draw alumni donations and put hundreds of million dollars into a football facility at the little cute private school up on the North Shore. School that would never be a football program. Lou Tepper, Ron Turner, Ron Zook, Tim Beckman, Bill Cubitt, Lovey Smith, all sub-500 coaches. Brett Bielema, he's got a shot. He's 9-9. Nine and nine. Next, If Illinois wins its opener, Brett Bielema also will be a plus-500 coach. Joining Pat Fitzgerald as the only coach in Illinois between those two Big Ten programs to be a, a plus-500 coach. 
Don't tell me to dismiss his accomplishments because of what happened at Camp Kenosha three years ago or at any other point in his program. He was a hugely successful college football coach, and he started that ride, I think, at 34. Maybe he was 33. Pat Fitzgerald is a meatball. He subscribes to a lot of old school philosophies that are dated and that as far as the Lufa line goes, if he's got knowledge of that, I can't. I'm stunned that he would be that dopey to not stop it. I still can't say I'd whack him if I were in charge. Maybe suspend him for the first half of the season. That's going to hurt your recruiting. That's going to hurt your image. It's going to hurt your team. But it's a stronger statement than the first two weeks before Michael Schill did his 180. And, uh, you know, they've been bad the last couple of years. I noted on Monday's podcast, in case you missed it, they were 1-11 last year and did not win a game on American soil. They were 3-9 and nine the year before. COVID-shortened year of 20, they went 7-2. and two. They weren't good the year before that either. They went three and nine in 19. Fitz as as a head coach was far too loyal to some of his coordinators and positional coaches. He gave them way too much time. I thought that's one of his biggest flaws as a head coach. He still was nine games over 500. One of the biggest stories in Chicago sports in the last 30 years in change is the resurrection of the Northwestern football program. And it's a scent to mattering. And it's unfortunate. And it is so sad to me today, this week, that more words have been given to this than they ever were in all of the years of succeeding, in all of those bowl appearances. (laughs) What, 15 of them in the last 31 years? Ten of them by Fitzgerald. That first one was huge. Outback Bowl, that was exciting. Over Mississippi State, they almost blew that game. They almost blew that game. Corey Wooten. I remember Corey Wooten out of nowhere with a thought. I'm real sad about the story. It's a great, great chapter in my life as a Chicago sports fan coming to a conclusion in such a dark and unacceptable manner. I was sad about the way Mark Jean Greco's career ended at ABC7. That that's how he'll be remembered, more so than his outstanding work with Steve McMichael after Bears games on Sunday or all of the snarky, funny commentary in 20 years of being at the top of his craft when anchoring the 10 o'clock news mattered. I'm saddened by this story deeply, but I'm also very, very angry about some of the reaction to it. I'm Dan McNeil, and you're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe if you've not done so already. You can do it anywhere you get your podcast, and tell a friend. The Macker isn't done sharing his deep sports thoughts with you. You can find me twice a week, typically on Monday late mornings we drop, and then again later in the week on Thursday. I'm Dan McNeil, and I am not finished saying things about stuff. 
A Feel Good Men was a movie that I, I thought spoke to a, a part of the world that we don't quite understand, and that is the military. And some of the things that go on in the military that we find appalling and unacceptable and just dehumanizing, and those things are true. Uh, but as Colonel Nathan Jessup, played by the great Jack Nicholson, um, said we we really shouldn't question the manner in which they provide a blanket of security. They would just assume we said thank you and let them go their way. I don't know if it's reaching all that much to suggest that more than any other vocation, college and professional football players have to have a militaristic approach to their craft, and it involves being way different than you are in your career, or I was in mine or am in mine. It's not IBM. It's not Intercom Radio or whatever they're called this month for their 84 cents a share. I. It's a different freaking world, and we want it both ways as sports fans. We want them to be violent. We ask them to separate the football from the would-be receiver. In week three, if Jaquan Brisker separates Travis Kelsey from the football on a third and seven and decletes the all-world tight end, you're going to be jumping out of your chair with excitement because it's that physical, violent excitement that brings you to the game every bit as much as the most artistic Patrick Mahomes passes. You like the violence of the game. I like the violence of the game. It draws us to the game. Highlight reels with hit after hit are exciting and are hard to stop watching. And yet you ask, and I have asked these athletes to completely flip the switch when they get off their, their workspace, when they get out of their work environment, when they get off the football field, you expect them even in the locker room in recent years to act like gentlemen, just turn it off. You know, we who've never done that and have had our careers, our livelihood predicated on how much we can destroy run through another person violently with rude intentions, demented and twisted as it may be, just a game. It's not to them. It's a livelihood. It's survival. It's providing. That's what they're going to do. And their mentality has to be different than yours and mine have been. Come on. Grab a weapon and stand a post, as Colonel Jessup would say. We don't understand how hard that must be to make that switch into civilian life after being trained and rewarded for being a nasty son of a bitch. We want them to be nasty. We need them to be nasty. When our quarterback gets hit out of bounds or after the whistle, if an offensive tackle doesn't throw the offending player, the defending player who's offensive, to the ground, we're going to jump up and scream. Yet we want them immediately to never touch another human being when they're off the air. And we expect them in practice to be gentlemen, right? Richie Incognito and Jonathan Martin. How can you say violent thing? Because you're trying to keep your job because it's a way of life to you. And there are traditions that happen in football that we don't understand, that we don't have to understand maybe. Maybe you don't have to understand. 
why people in the military, why the Marine Corps has the GI shower. What was it? Steel wool and a wire brush? Beautiful, says Kevin Pollack's character, Lieutenant Colonel Weinberg. Who's going to defend the country? You, Lieutenant Caffey? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? We shouldn't question the manner in which they provide us this entertainment. I'm not saying excuse sexual assault. It's hideous. I Soaping up your ass and it, having other naked men, you know, cleaning yourself. I, I, I just, I, I cannot believe in the 21st century or maybe in any other century that that was considered a part of the ritual. I don't know how that's part of the training process. That's where I'll draw the line. Okay. Sexual stuff or making a guy do naked pull-ups. That's bullshit too. Although the physical touching is just, and again, and what, what the result of this is, is every college football coach in America today is scrambling to make sure he's clean and make sure his players are informed yesterday. None of this stuff is acceptable because there are going to be more guys who come out of the woodwork. This is going to be the Me Too movement of college football. You're going to have guys at other programs step up soon, likely. I'd be surprised if it takes until the season before a couple programs don't unearth some issues of race. Uh, you know, what What were the Northwestern coaches, in case you missed all of the details, because there have been so many words devoted to this, telling a black player he's not in the hood to wear his hat differently. It's a stupid way to express we we don't dress that way here. And if you you can say that's Cavemanian and not, you know, that's you don't just because you wear your hat a certain way doesn't mean you're a criminal. But that's how a lot of these people think, and it's how they've been trained to think. And if they are have not unlearned some things the rest of us have unlearned, you'll give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe, as I do, because they've immersed themselves into a world I don't understand. I don't understand what it means to have the pressure on these guys. That's why all these goofy-ass coaches think they need to live in the building because they're so insecure, and they have to win every week. And they have to do things that are questionable both morally and ethically. And if you don't know the difference, I suggest you be taught by Matthew Broderick in the outstanding comedy election. It's, uh, It's not for you to understand why some people do the things they do. It's a psychological state. It's a state of mind. You probably have never had, and I probably have never had either. All I played was high school football, and I tried to destroy people, and I was willing to do things that were questionable from time to time. I did consider steroids. I'm glad I was shown by and I'm getting off topic here. I'm glad I was shown by a local gym owner what happened to him when he tried steroids. He showed us how purple his skin had become. The discoloration because he over-medicated and he said, this is what happened so immediately. Because we saw what the Pittsburgh Steelers were doing in the 1970s. And we believed that maybe those uh, those hooks, those guns with the rolled up 
sleeves on their jerseys. Maybe that wasn't all weight room and nutrition. All right, I'm off topic. I, I don't think it's fair for us to applaud on Saturdays and Sundays, and now every other day of the week, and then question the manner in which they provide the entertainment, unless it's against the law like sexual assault. Making players carry shoulder pads is not punishable by death. You know, the cold foot bath tossed at a guy if he doesn't hustle. I got no issues with that and don't know why anyone else would. Those are traditions set by seniors who set a tone in a football program. And if you don't understand it, I suggest maybe you stop trying to understand it and stop being so goddamn critical and sanctimonious. It bothers me. It makes me real angry. I'm I'm both sad and angry over the Pat Fitzgerald Northwestern story and hope Michael Schill takes a fall to the university president for his absolutely huge PR disaster. The news dump on a Friday that he suspended, the hideous nature of it being only two weeks, well, this will make it go away. And if he knew everything in the university report that dates back to November, why would it just be two weeks? If you're aware of the loofah line, if you you, you got that car wash and naked pull-ups already, you know that, why would you bury it under the, the, the stupidity of a two-week suspension in the summer? If you knew that, that was punishable, even by me, even by my standards, by much more than two weeks when the dude's going to be on vacation anyway. I have enjoyed the career of Pat Fitzgerald as both a player and as a head coach. I've not loved everything about him as a head coach. I, I think he's way too much one of the guys. I think it gets on guys' nerves when head coaches want to be jumping up and down in the huddle all the time. I think sometimes that's uh, that's he overdoes that. I don't like how he has gambled. Before gambling was in vogue at the professional level and Brandon Staley of the Chargers was going for it deep in his own end, and he'll convert that fourth and 14 because he's got Justin Herbert. Pat Fitzgerald does a lot of that. He did it in a bowl game. He went for it within his own territory a few years ago while protecting a lead, and they didn't get the first down. That Those things bother me. Hanging on to assistant coaches too long bothered me. His career was enormously successful, and I am non-apologetic. I'm unapologetic in every way. Saying today, thank you, Pat Fitzgerald, for making the last 31 or 32 years of college football more entertaining in Chicago. Pat on the back on the way out the door, and best of luck in your next ex- next assignment. And I fully expect Fitzgerald to be working in 2024. This lawsuit that's that's coming up is going to be ugly. It's not going to go away. If you're already tired of the story, you're going to want to get uh, figure get Sirius XM if you haven't already, because it's not going away. Especially with the baseball season going the way it is. The good news for you is Matt Eberflus is taking his Bears to camp very very soon. Uh, thank you for letting me uh, do this today, Adam Delavitt, and uh, he's the boss at Bet Rivers Podcast Network. I'm taking the under at Bet Rivers. Uh, on my app for season victories uh, this year. And uh, Adam, thank you. And thanks to Sam Michael for executively producing today's podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please tell your friends about it, that uh, 
Uh, I may be gone from terrestrial radio, but I don't have to be forgotten. Wherever you get your podcast, you can find this one, the Danny Mac podcast on Bet Rivers. Thanks for listening. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Danny Mac podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. 